following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Hello. I really want to say good morning. I'll never get the first time. Mm. Well, um, we are continuing our study in the book of Ephesians and yes we're going to take the time to do it today <laughs> not going to skip out just because we've been here for a while so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5 of verse 14 through 20 and that's at page uh, 978 in the Pew Bibles um how many of you consider yourself a morning person? Like the the sun, maybe not the sun, but it's time to wake up. Your eyes pop open, your feet hit the floor, and you're off running. Um, oh <laughs> only when you got to go to work. Something gets more done before breakfast, and then the rest of us get done all day. Um, wasn't that the, that was the army? <laughs> Well, I think it's about the same thing. Reveille blows and off you go. Um, well, I'm not that kind of a person. You can ask my wife. Um, when I wake up in the morning, I, I, I battle to keep my eyes open. And the first thing that I do is, is read from my Bible on my phone. So it doesn't matter if it's dark or, or light or whatever. And sometimes I read kind of blinking and trying to prop my eyeballs open and it takes me several minutes to convince myself a day has started and I better get going or it's going to keep going without me and stagger out to the kitchen and get my breakfast and about half a cup of coffee that's when people can start to talk to me uh, that's that's just me and it's not right or wrong uh, but it's me and that's alright and if that's uh, like if y'all like that uh, you must be lazy. I'm not, but must be. <laughs> well, in our study last week, um, we talk about how those of us who trust in Jesus to have our sins forgiven, the Bible calls us children of light. We already talked about that here this morning. Though we were once darkness, now we are light in the Lord. And uh, now... As children of light, we are to reject and expose the fruitless deeds of darkness and produce the fruit of light, which is found in all that is good and right and true. And we're going to pick up our study where we left off last week with the second half of verse 14. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you've called us together as a family this morning that we can celebrate your faithfulness, uh, sharing testimonies of your hand at work in our lives and uh, share our burdens and requests that we can carry them to you together. We thank you, Lord, we're able to open our uh, mouths and sing and open our hearts and speak to you in song. And I thank you for the encouragement that that is to each other. And I pray that you be blessed by it as well. And Lord, as we turn to your word this morning, I pray that you would instruct us, 
that you would help us live as children of light and delight in the Lord. So we give you this time and ask for your help by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 14. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I wish I had an alarm clock that would say that when it's time to wake up. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It would be cute the first time. And then I throw it out the window. Now this symbol phrase we begin our reading with this morning is the message of the gospel. We were once asleep in darkness and death until the Lord called us to wake up, to let the light of Christ shine on us through faith in Him. Now, for some of us, waking up is a long process. Uh, we may be up, but not uh, fully awake. So I can't talk to you morning people. Um, I'm not a night owl either. The Internet says I'm a permanently exhausted pigeon. <laughs> That's, uh, we have morning doves that visit the Indian Ridge Bird Restaurant. And I found out that's not morning, M-O-R-N-I-N-G, like good morning. It's morning, like M-O-U-R. Oh, goodness, it's morning again. Oh, that's why that song is so sad. <laughs> I really enjoy the bird, probably more than I should, but it's, it's a lot of fun. All right, some of us, the process of waking up is a long process. We may be up, but we're not fully awake. We're still rubbing the sleep from our eyes and adjusting to the bright light of a new day. But the Lord's calling to us is still the same. Through His Word, He says, Wake up! And now that you are awake, pay attention to what you're doing. Now, I said it last week, and I say it again. A quote to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 where he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, how do we let our light shine before others? That's Paul's main concern in our passage this morning. 
The light of Christ has shined on us, and now we must pay attention to shine as children of light in contrast to the darkness around us. Look at verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. In case you are wondering, our days are still evil. It doesn't take very long on the TV or the Internet to see it at work. Evil is all around us. But our charge is still the same as what Paul gave to the church in Ephesus 2,000 years ago. Our charge is to pay close attention to how we live our pattern of behavior, how you live, to make sure that you are walking in wisdom and not in foolishness. Do you remember the old story of the ant and the grasshopper? I love that story. I love that grasshopper. He's a dummy. Love me. The ant worked diligently all summer long, put away food because uh, put away food for the winter because the cold is coming. And the grasshopper put off his work and just lays around singing songs, hang out in a hammock or whatever. And he gave a hard time to the end. He made fun of him for just work, work, work all the time. Come on, there's so much fun to be had. Let's relax, have a good time. He told him, relax, have, uh, enjoy life, to enjoy the summer while it's still warm, to play and have fun. But the ant just kept on working, kept on plugging away, storing up food in his little ant hole so that he'd have food for winter. And then winter finally did come. And the ant had plenty of food to eat all winter long. And he could rest from his labor. But a grasshopper waited too long. Bad news for a grasshopper. He didn't store up enough food because he's too busy relaxing and enjoying himself. And when winter came, there was no more food to be found. And the grasshopper dead. It's a very uplifting story. <laughs> Shakespeare called it a tragedy. The days that Paul lived in were evil. Literally morally corrupt. Good thing our days are not like that anymore. We got over it. Paul urged his readers to make the most of the time, literally to redeem the time because of the moral climate that they are in and that we are still in. Things do not change at all. Paul put it this way in Philippians 2, 14 to 16. He said, Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud I did not run in vain or labor in vain now to be honest our tendency as people is to either embrace the darkness or to hide from it whether we hide our light under a basket, like Jesus said, 
and uh, don't interact with the world at all. Or we shine our light maybe when they sell the other lights around. Oh, it's a light convention, so we're going to get together and shine. But when that's over, I put my light back under a basket where it's safe. That's what Jesus said then. So we don't live like a Christian from 937 to today is going to be about 145. I'm not even halfway through, man. Buckle up. Now, the days that we live in, I admit, it is difficult to shine our lights. These evil days are filled with terror and temptation. But if we are obedient to the charge given us here in Ephesians to make the most of the time, literally to buy the time back, we can see, start to see that evil days present opportunities, not necessarily obstacles, to live as a Christian. Opportunities to live as a Christian. To live as a child of light. Because the darker the sky is, the brighter the stars shine. Paul keeps these contrasts going. Darkness and light, wise and unwise, evil days and redeemed time. And now in verse 17, foolish and understanding. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It seems an interesting contrast, not very obvious at first. Um, the word to be foolish is not just be a goofball, uh, tell dumb jokes from the pulpit, because you know people will laugh because you give them a hard time if they won't. Laugh already. It does not mean uneducated or uninstructed either. To be foolish is a choice to not employ the understanding that you already have. It's not a person without understanding. It's a person who chooses to ignore it. That's what it means to be foolish. As children of light, carefully watching how we live, and the choices that we make as we strive to make the most of our time for the Lord's glory, we must resist the temptation to lay down what we know to be true and sacrifice it on the altar of sin. That's what foolishness is in this context, in contrast to understanding the will of the Lord. See, they are opposite. This phrase, the will of the Lord, in this context, is not to be mixed up with uh, the, the guidance of the Lord in your life, whom you marry or what career path you should take. Guidance is not the issue at hand. That doesn't contrast with foolishness. All right? Understanding the will of the Lord is understanding what the Lord wants in any given situation that you're faced with. What is it that will please Him? Well, what pleases God? Sing it loud for all to hear, right? No? Obedience? Right, dressing up on Sunday? Show up on time? Yep. That's it. All right, let's move on. No. What's at the top of the list of what pleases God is faith in Him. Faith, believing what God says about life. This is the most important thing. 
You want to live to please God? You've got to start by believing in Him. <laughs> Step one. Okay? Hebrews 11:6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Pretty rudimentary. So therefore, the point is, don't lay down your understanding what you know to be true about God and about you and choose disobedience instead. Employ your understanding. Embrace the truth. Believe God and what He says and draw near to Him and seek Him and seek after what pleases Him. That's the opposite of foolishness. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The final contrast, I say final, but I still got several pages left, so don't get all excited. Verse 18 through 20. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We stop on a comma. I know that's not okay for grammar Nazis, but that's all right. There's no commas in Greek, so we can ignore it for today. Now I kind of, I kind of giggle when I read verse 18. And don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. I always think, don't be filled with spirits, but be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> but the truth is not a laughing matter. To be clear, this is not a prohibition of consuming alcohol. Um, it is, however, a prohibition of drunkenness. So if you want to say, well, where's the Bible say you can't get drunk? Here it is, Ephesians 5. That's all the one spot. And don't think you get off where it says just wine so I can, I can hit the Jack Daniels like it's going out of style. No, the principle is still the same. Drunkenness is forbidden. Drunkenness, it says, is debauchery, which is the word we all learn in kindergarten. Right? Maybe dissipation. Is that easier? No. All right. Just big words that mean uh, behavior that demonstrate a lack of concern for the consequences of their actions. To be senseless. To be reckless. That's what it means. Now, alcohol, in many senses, I think, has been referred to as liquid courage. Or, or even personality lubricant. So, this... Uh, but it's much more often used as an escape to dull the senses and hide from the harsh realities of life. So how does getting drunk contrast with being filled with the Spirit? Well, when we are filled with the Spirit, we draw on Him and drink from His cup to gain strength. We don't need liquid courage. We can have real courage that comes from the Lord to face difficult situations and problems. Ray Stedman said, We are made adequate to face life by being filled with the Spirit. We don't need any outside substances to make us adequate. He gives us all that we need 
when we draw our strength from Him. Now, I want you to understand also, because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of doctrine that's been uh, skewed from these verses. Um, I want you to understand, be filled with the Spirit is not get a second helping of the Holy Spirit. Um, meaning some other experience that happens after we come to faith in Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus, our sins are forgiven, and we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. That means He comes to live inside of us. He's a permanent resident. He lives in us. But the Holy Spirit is the living water that lives within us. Jesus talked about with the woman at the well. I, you want to drink from this well, you thirst again. But if you drink the water I give you, you never thirst again. This is what he's talking about, the Holy Spirit. It's a well that we can draw from again and again. And it's when we draw our strength from him that we are filled, as this says. When we go after him, seek him for strength and help, he fills us again. So don't face the demands of this life with alcohol or other substances, but face them with the strength that comes from the Lord. That's the contrast made here. And instead of reckless words fueled by drunkenness, we can express our joy and thankfulness from our hearts in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, I quizzed, I quizzed one of the boys this morning. So, tell me the difference between a psalm, a hymn, and a spiritual song. Do you know the difference? What's a psalm? A psalm is a psalm, okay? It's a, in the book of Psalms found in the Old Testament, right? You may have heard of it before. That's easy. Uh, from the Old Testament. What's a hymn, then? No, it's a, it's a song bound in a book that you can only sing when there's an organ playing. <laughs> That's funnier than it was supposed to be. <laughs> the word to him means... An, an <laughs> We're having too much fun here. A hymn, a, the word means a new song. It's a song of praise to the Lord, specifically for congregational use. Right, for the church to sing together. It's like what we mostly sing here. I know we not uh, sing from a bound book, but these songs that we sing to the Lord, all of us together with one voice, uh, when the words are on the screen at least, when that's it, that's... <laughs> that was not your fault. That's, that's a hymn. It's a song we sing together to the Lord. These songs use... Uh, they're full of us's and we's, right? We sing uh, and that sort of stuff. Uh, sing it to the Lord. But what about a spiritual song? That song sounds pretty spiritual, doesn't it? What's the difference there? This is where it gets tricky. Maybe. I did write it down like that. A spiritual song is a song that you sing from your heart to the Lord, from your heart. It's a for you. It's a private song between you and the Lord. Um, sometimes these songs are referred to as closet songs, like you sing to the Lord in your prayer closet, if you have one of those. Uh, John Wesley, old hymn writer, uh, his mother's prayer closet, they had like 14 kids or something like 12 or 14 kids. 
she would sit in her kitchen and pull her apron up over her head. And that's when she would pray. And her kids knew when the apron is over mom's head, stay away from her. You don't say, Mama, can I have a snack? There's no Jesus left in the closet. No, you leave her alone. That was her prayer closet. That's our private, personal time with the Lord. That's when we sing these spiritual songs because it's between us and our Father. These are the eyes and me's songs, right? And sometimes we sing songs like that together uh, and so that we know them. Uh, and you kind of sing them to the Lord in your own uh, private time with Him. Okay, take a breath. So, here's the contrast, right? Instead of singing drunken bar tunes and sad country songs where your wife left and your truck broke down and your dog ran off, instead, we sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Not complaining, not hiding, not drowning your sorrows, but rather giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sing make melody from your heart to the Lord. It's been said that you can't complain and praise God at the same time. I don't challenge you to try it. I challenge you to give up complaining and instead praise the Lord in all circumstances. The Christian life is supposed to be different from the way the rest of the world lives because we are not darkness anymore. We are light. And there's a contrast. So I would challenge you to seek out the contrast, to do the things that make your light shine brighter. Don't hide your light under a basket. And if your light is not lit, maybe ask the Lord for help. And He will light your candle. We must look carefully then how we walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we cannot do this alone. We cannot live uh, as wise without your help. We need to be filled with your Spirit. We know that you already live within us by faith, but we need your help. We need your strength. We need your direction. We need your guidance and protection. We recognize that the days are evil and often it's tempting to hide in the dark. I pray, Father, for the courage that only you can give to shine our lights before men that they would see our good works and praise our Father who is in heaven. For that's the purpose of our lives, to bring you glory and enjoy you forever. We love you, Lord. 
And we trust you to make this word sing deep in our hearts and change the way we think and change the way we act. For we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.